This is the Straight Dope Podcast. Man, it's been very cold lately. And as a result, I moved my stuff upstairs so I could sit by the fire and talk. I've been doing a couple things. And so today is just going to be kind of a fun uh, episode talking about some numbers and practical ways to look at some of the things that I do behind the scene that gets people success. Now, before I get into the nitty gritty of this episode, I'll tell you that a sponsor of the podcast is Mile High Shooting. They are an awesome shop. They carry high-end equipment like Accuracy International. They carry Impact 747 actions. They carry proof research barrels. They carry JP gas guns. They carry um, reloading equipment. Night Force, Zero Compromise, Collis, Leupold. They carry just about everything that you need at the high-end game for any application that you have. So go to their website. Oftentimes they have sales. Oftentimes they have giveaways. But they're usually one of the best deals out there, and they're my local shop. So I go in there and check out what they've got. They support competitions of all sorts. They support just about everything. And so when you hear and see posts online about supporting the people that support the shooters, there really is no better example than Mile High Shooting when it comes to massive support nationwide for all of the outlets that we're involved and interested in. So uh, if you want to get something and you're looking for something, there's a good chance that they're carrying it head over to their site, site milehighshooting.com, and see for yourself. They can ship most of the stuff that you might need to the state that you're in. So if you're looking for powders, like I just I just picked up some Vita Vore and 160. Uh, but if you're out of state, they have the hazmat licenses to ship that stuff to the state that you're in, as well as Burger Bullets, Lapua Brass, Alpha Brass, and... Um, number of other things. So check it out and get after it. Now, I've been really excited working on this virtual training program. talking about it a little bit online, but for the most part, you know, it's been nose down paying attention to this first cohort that's going through this program. In fact, most of them have said they want to do it again, even though we're like four weeks into this 12-week program, because they're learning a lot and they're learning things that were kind of not expected initially and that's one of the things that I'm really fascinated with with shooting in general is not necessarily my particular individual success like that that's what got me interested to begin with but now I'm interested in helping others reach success now I've coached and mentored as well as helped people run assessments. And I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the numbers that I get. And in fact, today, I'm going to utilize a resource that I lean heavily on and started the podcast talking about, who, which is Brian Litz. So today is going to be, um, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, say a lot of the things that I find um, beneficial for all shooters that, that he's provided. Um, and, and, and look at some of these numbers based on um, some of his analytical tools, formulas, and, and the approaches that he provides and, and the things. You know, I mean, you're all familiar with that, so I don't need to go into too much detail. But 
uh, of all the shooters that I've worked with directly in this numbers-based approach of measuring metrics and helping shooters, no one has grown less than 20%. And I'm going to talk about some of that growth because sometimes it's hard to kind of quantify. Now, now that doesn't mean that everybody has been like totally psyched about you know where they got to because everybody wants more. But a minimum, 20% of the metrics that, that we're measuring. And, and so I'm going to get into some of that by talking about some, some case studies and some examples. And why a lot of the information that's out there, I think, you know, while it's good and it's true, it doesn't really provide you with a framework or a path to improving towards your goals. And so the, those misleading characteristics have kind of inspired me anyway this evening to, uh, you know, zero degrees right now. Actually, it's, it's negative right now, but, but it was recently just zero degrees. And um, I want to talk about this because I've been looking at some numbers based on a conversation that I had yesterday. Um, and, um, yeah, I, th- I, think it's, I think it's really fascinating because trying to find ways to help shooters get up to speed faster and faster. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to win everything. But getting people out of a sub-mid-pack or a bottom-end shooter or a mid-pack to an upper mid-pack or into the top 20 or 15 or 10 percent, that, that's a much different story. And I think that that's realistic and reasonable for everybody to be able to, to set their expectations. So I'm going to talk a little bit about those numbers and how I'm, how I'm approaching some of this and, and how I'm looking at shaping that progress, uh, essentially on a one-on-one basis because you can't there's no one size fits all blanket statement that's gonna provide somebody the path towards achieving because we're all a little bit different um so so let me back up a little bit it's it's not uncommon now especially with with brian litz like getting on social media and starting to post a lot of his public um published images of hit percentage like you know how much does group size affect this how much does wind how much does standard deviation he puts up those um, weapon employment zone pictures from his analytical tools to show that all of these factors play a role. And, and, and that aspect of the science is really important to understand. And it's also really important to spend time thinking about because not only is it true, but it, it means that there are left and right limits to the things that we want to go do. And those left and right limits, they're, they're mechanical, right? And what I mean by mechanical is we can control them to a certain extent. We can define the limits that we're working in. Now, the games that we play, they rest on those limits, but then you kind of transcend the base equipment level and you rise up into the art level. And that art level is very intangible, right? Those are the limits of the sports in the niche applications that we have. And that's why you know, I, I spend a lot of time talking to friends and I spend a lot of time um, talking to shooters that have particular niche interests because they've risen above essentially like that base layer and they've gotten to these higher levels where they're able to control their, their mental state. They're able to control the thought processes and make decisions faster and they're executing things at a level that's really impressive. I'm not telling you that everybody listening to this is going to get to that level, but I do know that you can get pretty darn close with respect to the larger population. And so let me explain why, because that, that might, that I have been told that I have a massive ego 
and that this massive ego is like out of control because I say things like that. And I don't think that's the case. Well, maybe it is. And truth is, you know, who cares? Because if I can get you the results that you want, does it matter if it's ego? Well, I would like to say that it's just Brian Litz. It's just the science, right? Maybe it's not fair to say Brian Litz, but it's like the programs and the science that he talks about. If I can set parameters that make your probability of hitting a target, let's say 92%. If the probability of hitting a target is 92% and 92% wins matches, then there's a pretty good chance you'll be able to win a match. Now, if somebody has higher level skills and they can outthink, outspeed, outdecision make you and they get 96%, well, that, that, that could be the case. But more often than not, you're gonna hit targets at, 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 at a probability close to those predicted based on ballistic parameters that are defined by the system that you're using. What are some of the things that play into that? Well, your ability to adjust to the wind. Now, field shooters, precision rifle shooters, they don't read the wind all that well. But again, the games that are out there right now, they're not really testing wind reading ability. They're, they're testing making a correction. And that making a correction isn't reading the wind, right? They're two different things. If we're shooting at a two MOA target and your rifle shoots one MOA, you've got a whole MOA of wind budget on there, right? And so let's say that that wind budget is three miles an hour or 3.6 miles an hour left or right. You're not in the realm of an F-class shooter that has to read it to a half a mile an hour. And so we look at the, the applications that an individual shooter might want to employ things on and we say, okay, well, what are the parameters in the outlet that you want? And once you shoot, can you continue to shoot and refine your wind call? Because that's going to change those parameters. Well, some of the things that really do affect hit probability at distance is wind, for sure. But we can account for that with ballistic calculators. And using the applied ballistic analytic tools, and I have access to those. I've, I've run some numbers. Now, wind, temperature, pressure, humidity, muzzle velocity, standard deviations, the, the range accuracy of the target that you're shooting at, the angle that you're shooting at, um, the azimuth that you're shooting at, whether you want to admit that or not, the latitude that you're on, and the rifle precision, as well as the target size, are going to be parameters that you need to consider. So I took um, my rifle and plugged in some numbers. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna just walk you through this for a second. The average, the average rifle craft shooter's targets out there, and we've got tens of thousands of targets out there, is about four inches. Right, so a four MOA target. Now, if I take this rifle system into the parameters of these, uh, you know, long, uh, average long range target, you know, and I put in these parameters, and I take a, a four MOA shooter at a, a 20 inch plate at a thousand yards, right, a two MOA target, using the parameters that my rifle shoots to, right, just the straight up rifle can hit that target 38% of the time. Now, if I bring that group from four inches to three and a half, it actually improves by 7% to 45. 
And if I go from, from three and a half to three, it improves eight. And then three to two and a half, it improves by 10%. Two and a half to two, another 10%. Two to one and a half, another 10%. But then something interesting happens that starts to get smaller. And it starts to get smaller around one and a half MOA. So, you know, if, if, you're, a, if you're a three inch shooter, I can give you 10% more hit rate by showing you how to bring your group from three to two and a half, two and a half to two. If I bring you from three inches to two inches, I've literally given you 20% more hits, right? A probability of hit by just bringing your group from three to two. The problem is that when you start going down from one and a half to smaller, that growth decreases and it decreases pretty darn quickly. In fact, people roll their eyes when you say, well, one inch, because I set a parameter for one inch because I think that that's kind of the threshold where if you're shooting an inch, there are other skills that we need to work on. But getting you to an inch is a priority. If you can't bring your shooting down to an inch, your probability of hit is going to suffer and you won't be able to take wind reading all that seriously because you'll be scratching your head. Was it me or was it the wind? And there's no way to answer that truthfully. The problem is when you go from an inch to a half an inch, your hit probability increases by 3% and it gets smaller and smaller from there. And that's why I think that you know, if you obsess about making your load and your shooting something that's smaller than one inch, the time invested and the energy invested in that is so minuscule statistically that your probability of actually having a higher performance isn't, isn't real, right? You're not, it's not realistic. You're, you're dreaming and basing things in a reality that just doesn't exist. Now, I get it. If you're an F-class shooter, you will probably want it a half an inch anyway because you're get because you have to read the wind to half a mile an hour, and so you know that might give you another mile an hour. If you're a, if you're a bench rest shooter, yeah, one inch isn't going to win an F, uh, bench rest competition, but for a field shooter, for a PRS shooter, for a hunter, one inch is a threshold where mathematically, going underneath that, the amount of work is probably not equal to the amount of work that you could put elsewhere. But before that, there's almost nothing that you can invest time in that'll give you the fruits of your labor like bringing your positional consistency down, right? And, I'm, and that's, that's using Brian Litz's programming and software with my rifle saying, you know, what? let's bring our probability of hit to something that's around the probability of hit, you know, of uh, elite shooter, which is in the 90-something 90, 90 percentile range, right? So if, if we generalize the zone of the majority of people that are working on getting their shooting better in rifle craft, that's like, you know, we're saying four inches to one inch is that zone of improvement. And there's almost... Nothing that you can do that will be worth more than working on your fundamentals and your fundamental capability of bringing that shot group down like that because you, you won't buy that increase in hit percentage in time. You won't do it with wind reading. You won't do it with equipment or anything else until you can bring that consistency down. So mathematically, it's the only thing that makes sense. And it's the foundation off of which the whole rifle craft system is developed. The rifle craft challenge and target came out several years ago by saying a lot of us 
identified with our prone shooting groups, with our rifle systems shooting capability. And of course, our rifle systems, it's very hard to go buy a rifle that can't shoot under an inch, right? It's very hard. So saying, well, I have this great rifle. It's like, shit, everybody has a great rifle. That that's neutralized across the board. Everybody's weapon system and ammunition shoots great. So that's not really a competitive thing. Now, when we talk to Morgan and Francis and they say, well, we don't want it to become an equipment game, right? Or we want it to be a shooting competition, not an equipment competition. Well, when the, when the parameters of target size start dropping under an inch, right? Now it's changing the hit probability and you need to be able to, to match that equipment overlap with the target size, speed, and stress that you're working on. But still, talking about it in context to an inch, it's still the shooter, right? The, the hit probability is coming from the shooter's capabilities. So let's back up here because one of, um, one of like the things that I've mentioned in the past, and I've showed pictures of this, but I have... I have an example of somebody that I worked with for a short period of time, and they had remarkable growth, but it was based on this whole philosophy. And it was a, sh a short period of time, and then they quit. They quit, you know, it was like, well, shit. I mean, peop you know, people quit. But that this shooter came, and they were shooting over four inches to start with. And that shooter had been to uh, more than one match before they started coaching with me. And I actually have the statistic. I have the data from the the matches. So I, I pulled out all the numbers, and I have all the numbers that I measured. Okay, so I did a, a pretty thorough analysis of the numbers and the fundamental stuff based on just the rifle craft, you know, baseline system. Now, the shooter went to two matches and had hit probabilities, um, a hit percentage at a match of twenty eight percent. Okay, and was shooting a craft drill over, it was like four and a half inches was their first baseline. And wanted to, you know, had, has, had goals of wanting to be competitive, wanting to go to matches and potentially win them and get trophies and, and lots of goals. In fact, we talked about goals that extended out for what I saw as over a year of training. And so scaled it out, but prioritized simply bringing down the group sizes at first to the parameters of sustain and for me that sustain parameter when I'm working with somebody is an inch right or close to an inch like 1.2 inches is I think where he got to but we're talking about over four inches now I took the two baseline craft targets and I entered those numbers specifically into Brian Litz's weapon analytics program software and the numbers that I measured using the rifle craft targetry right and the fundamental assessment predicted Right. And I actually, I, the match that, that he had a 28% hit rate on, I know every target size and distance. So I entered that into the analytic software. And Brian Litz's software predicted that this shooter would have a 35% hit rate. Well, reality was they had a 28% hit rate. But 28, 35, it's, that's not going to win a match, right? It shows that there's a lot of growth that's available. And I felt like, the only way to learn wind and strategy and movement is first to eliminate the shooter error from the system. So we worked at it. And if you listen to the episodes of the straight dope, like, you know, other, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you've listened to the other ones. I emphasize inputs and outputs, knowing 
when you're touching the rifle one place or another, you have to balance that out because the way that you interface with the rifle uh, affects the point of impact, right? We know our rifle systems are capable of shooting small groups. The problem is we have to touch the rifles in one way or another. Now, there's lots of approaches, right? You go to Oklahoma, tell you, like, you know, hold the scope. You go to you know, the Southeast or whatever, they say, well, hold the bag. You go to California, they, you know, they tell you one thing or the other. And so, But the point is, however you learn it and however you test it, you need to be aware of the inputs that you have and the outputs that you have. And so we did, I did video analysis, slow motion video analysis to adjust the inputs and outputs. Like, okay, you got left and right wobble. Let's, let's control the amount of rear pressure that you've got because of stability. Okay, we've got vertical stuff. Let's, let's look at how the interface of the rifle with your cheek comb, let's change that position. Okay, now we're having effects with the balance point of the rifle, so where you're clipping it into your tripod or where you're balancing it. And so it, the, those you might, you might say, well, you know, that's, that's just adjusting your system appropriately. However you're going to call and define that, I call that your interface. And I call that the inputs and the outputs. But it took time, and it took careful measurements. It took video analysis. It took paper analysis. But over the course of six weeks, reviewing video footage, asking the shooter to do careful experiments, dry fire, practice for consistency, that consistency, whether you're going to blame it on the fact that they have a nice rifle or a tripod or whatever, they went from shooting below average to 1.2 inches. And you could see a linear relationship in group size decrease over that time. Now to me, that seems priceless. And I don't, I don't know, like wh what what's the value that you can place on going from a 20, 28% hit rate at a match and shooting, you know, four and a half inches to shooting 1.2 inches positionally? Is that is that worth something to you? Well, maybe not. You, you could talk to some shooters that have never had coaching and never done anything. And you say, like, you know, what, what did you shoot like 20 years ago? And they say, oh, man, you know, 20 years ago I was shooting five inches. And over the last 20 years, you know, through trial and error and 400 matches and, you know, 30 barrels and all this time, you know, I've gotten to the level where I shoot under an inch. Well, shit. 20 years, boiling it down into six weeks seems like it's worth something. Right. What's it worth to you? I don't know. This this shooter felt like after six weeks, you know, he had better things to do. That's fine. But I didn't want to do anything but work on fundamentals because I felt like at that point, the that's where the start that's where the work starts. That's where the art starts to grow. And in fact, if we look at hit probabilities, when you get to that zone hit probabilities kind of taper off without any other without any other metrics, right? Wind, movement, strategy, understanding how to negotiate matches and think about it. They hover in the low 70% to upper 70%, something somewhere between 72% and 70 77%. So if you have good fundamentals but no understanding of the sport that you're doing, it's likely that you're going to score under stable conditions, 72 to 77%. Well, it turns out that that's about a mid-pack shooter, is 72 to 77%. And if you plug in that data to the an analytic you know, software here, 
and you say like what are the hit probabilities of you know one and a half MOA shooter at you know some of these targets in these distances knowing the average level of wind reading that is only really required for one shot you see a big plateau happening in that 70% hit rate which means you know you went from below average to about average right well these numbers paralleled and correlated and i entered the post training numbers um you know we we had plan to continue training and then it just turned out that that training stopped so this is a really cool example of getting the base and preparing yourself for actual training by getting your your fundamentals squared away so that now we can start learning the art of shooting right you you are not having the input and output deviation such that you know we're going to start questioning all of the misses and hits and trying to attribute them to particular things, right? We've laid a foundation that we can build upon and start to scale real skill, right? So we brought this shooter's shooting to uh, 1.2 inches. Now I changed the parameters of the baseline, which is really fascinating. You know, the lits, the lits baselines that predicted he would have a 35% hit rate with where he came in when he had a 28% hit rate. Now, the lit software now, based on build and break times, based on the group sizes, and then, a, you know, two preliminary kind of wind reading um, sessions, you know, uh, just, just theoretical wind reading sessions, right, predicted that he would have a 79% hit rate. Well, after the six weeks of training, the shooter went to two matches, and in both of those matches had a 77, I think a 73 and a 77% hit rate. So the shooter in six weeks had an increase of 50% hit rate, right? And it stayed there. I think that um, that hit rate, and it matches the fact that his fundamental baseline, right, his fundamental interface with his rifle, the inputs and outputs are at a controlled level, right? Like everybody should have when they start training. You can control your inputs and outputs to somewhere under 1.5 MOA to 1 MOA. And at that point, you're going to have probably, you know, realistically, you're probably going to be in the 70th percentile if you have no other skill sets to layer on being able to increase that hit percentage. Now, you're not going to increase that hit percentage by bringing the groups down more, right? It's going to come up by 3%. So that you know, 73 to 77%, that's even larger than you would have if you if you had the one inch go to one and a half inch, right? That's what I'm trying to say here. So Brian Litz predicted 35, he got 28. After training, Brian Litz predicted 79, and he got 77. And I think he's got 77% hit rate twice. Now, I, to me, those numbers are very significant. The only thing that happened in those six weeks was working with me, after which it has stayed and plateaued there. Now, what's interesting to me is that the training that I do with people, it all starts with that baseline because you can't do anything without that baseline being at a level where, A, you know, you're not going to make bigger gains by working something else. And the bigger gains are going to be the shooter first, right? The shooter, it's not your equipment. It's not your load, right? It's how you use your equipment and understand what to do, 
right? There's that saying of like, you know, somebody calls for a plumber and the plumber comes in and the plumber says, you know, I'm going to charge you, you know, a thousand bucks. And he walks in and he sees the problem and he pulls out a wrench and he smacks the thing. And then he says, all right, a thousand bucks. And the dude's really pissed off because it took him five minutes. And he said, like, look, you know, it's only a dollar for me to come in here and smack it, but it's $999 for me to, you know, because I know where to smack it to fix it, right? If, if somebody knows how to help you and they can do it quickly, like, that's not, that's not, some, that's not a reason to be upset with them uh, because, you know, potentially they say to years and years of slowly kind of dragging yourself from 28% to 70%, you know, 77% hit rate. Now, 77 is mediocre shooting, right? It's average. But the point is you had a 50% growth in a very short period of time, and that 50% growth stayed there. Now, how do you take that base of 77 fundamentally, and what skills are going to take you to, like, you know, just this last weekend, um, Austin Bushman is the first person to clean a two-day national PRS match. He got a hundred percent hit rate on a two-day match, you know. Under you know, so this essentially like these same targets, right? That this guy got twenty-eight percent and now seventy-seven percent. How do you build the skill and build the knowledge on top of fundamentals that are pretty good? Because my guess is that the fundamentals are probably pretty darn close. You know, I would be. I haven't seen Austin's you know targetry, but I I would bet that if he if he ran a couple craft drills. I would bet he's shooting them at an inch, right? That, that if I had to make a bet, and that yeah, that could be my huge ego playing a role here because I have a huge ego, and I told Morgan King I'd give him five hundred bucks if he beat me at the the Burris Team Challenge because that's my huge ego, or is it just me having fun with a friend? I don't know. My guess is if I had to make a bet, and I told Austin Bushman, you know, here's a hundred twenty second stage where you're going to shoot the craft drill, it's he's going to shoot it at an inch. Right. So how is a guy that shoots an inch, just like this guy, getting a hundred percent hit rate? Well, first of all, he re he rests on those fundamentals, and then he builds and scales out a system that allows him to think through and act and make decisions in an appropriate way, so that he gets hits. Right. Chad Heckler was there, and I think he only dropped two shots the whole match. So a lot of guys are operating at a level where they're basically shooting one inch, and they're making decisions that allow them to get damn near perfect hit percentages, right? So what I'm going to do now is, you know, I, wa I want you to think about that because I think that's really fascinating to me, right? I think that's fascinating because it shows that, that mid-pack shooters are, are people that are kind of, uh, they've learned to kind of control their system, but they haven't learned to necessarily play the game. Now, granted, the 100% hit rate has to be the right conditions because you could have a match where if winds are really crazy here, a really good hit percentage could be in the 70s, but, but then you're going to see that evenly slide down across the board where now mid-pack shooters are getting 50% or less, right? And you see that with some decent shooters that are like, well, sometimes they get you know top 10, but sometimes they get top 50, and sometimes they get top 100 because they don't have the well-rounded skill sets to realize how to apply and make those decisions out of the context of you know the linear training that that's being done but these top guys it's not linear training right it's it's multi-dimensional 
And I feel like this this new 12-week virtual training plan that's happening now, it's it's based around a multi-dimensional, multifaceted um, approach that is on a foundational principle, but it's it has nothing to do with the fundamentals, right? Because the fundamentals are if you're shooting an inch, you're you're fine. So what builds on top of that foundation of shooting an inch? Well, I mean, obviously, we got to back up a sec because if you're not shooting an inch, we need to bring it down to an inch. But as we showed, I, we can bring anybody down to around an inch in about six weeks with focused work. So after that six weeks, how are you going to build on top of it? That's why I feel like we could probably take it pretty much any shooter and with the right time and the right motivation, we can probably get them to you know, top 10%, top 15, 10 or 15%, you know, at a big match, not winning them, but at least flirting with the idea of high performance by focusing on the right things. And a lot of us are self-motivated. So how are you, how do you scale out a system? If you don't, I mean, obviously like, you know, I charge and because, you know, it's something, it's a, it's a job, right? I'm, I'm treating it like a job, but I'm also doing this podcast and offering other things at no cost, because if you want to put in the time and effort and work on your own, I think that's awesome, right? I'm not, I'm, I'm not upset about, uh, people trying to be self-motivated and do it on their own, but, but, uh, but I do like to point out that, you know, without somebody changing things up and, looking for new ways to solve new problems it's easy for us as humans to fall into a track that more or less does the same thing over and over again and we kind of create our own little echo chambers and our own ways of doing it and I think there's that saying of you know if you keep doing the things that you do you're going to keep getting the results that you get and that's a normal human tendency because if you knew what to do in a way that is different you would already be doing it, right? And that's where the perspective of another person really helps shorten that gap. And that's why there's instructors. That's why there's coaches. And instructors and coaches are able to provide that perspective even to the very best people who are technically and physically better than them, right? Tiger Woods has a coach. Why? Because he needs somebody there to help guide him at that level. You don't need it necessarily. You know, a, a lot of people don't need it, but some people want it. And it's worth investing in time reduction, right? You could do it on your own over the course of 10 years, or you could do it with somebody's help in one year, right? And, and that's kind of the perspective that I'm at. But I'm more than happy to talk about those parameters uh, to people and, and talk about the principles that the plan that I'm on now is based and that plan really is very, very little fundamental work once you've achieved that threshold. Like once you drop under an inch and a half, you're mostly at a sustain level. When you're at an inch, like you really don't need to shoot all that much. It's all cognitive, right? It's all cognitive, visual, strategic, and planning, right? And, and then execution, making sure you can do it. And so uh, I'm going to end this straight dope because for those of you that are self-motivated like you can take this carry it and run right go out and hit hit up brian litz and get his analytic software and design your program and, and start winning trophies for those of you who are subscribers to riflecraft this podcast will not stop and you're just gonna have to pick it up there because right now i'm flipping the switch 
to share those aspects with the subscribers on the subcast.